Hello, and welcome to the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest voxcasting either side of the breach. On today's episode, we return to MacReady's Bar, where famed mercenary Taylor is regaling patrons with stories of her exploits. She has just finished telling the story of how she lost her arm and gained her powerful relic hammer. The regulars at MacReady's are drinking whenever they believe they've spotted a lie. I hope you enjoy the conclusion of Welcome to Malifaux, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by Belfontaine's Fried Chicken. Finest chicken this side of the breach. We lovingly coat each piece of chicken in our secret batter, then add our top secret mixture of herbs and spices. Then we fry it for a secret number of minutes and serve it at a secret location. Best of all, every third piece is secretly not chicken but we won't tell you what it is. Zachariah had a line of shots in front of him and was quickly knocking them back. The hell are you doing? asked Ethan. She's not even talking anymore. Zachariah paused his drinking briefly. Not my fault she can move her lips faster than I can drink. I'm catching up. I believe you, Ethan said, wrapping an arm around Taylor's waist. Taylor grabbed Ethan's hand with her hydraulic fist and bent it back. Oh, I'm so sorry. I can't control it. It's acting on its own again. Let go of me, you crazy bitch, Ethan shouted. I know how those things work. You're the one doing this. Taylor smiled and dropped his hand. And all of a sudden, he's learned how to spot a lie. What she want with the arm anyway? Asked the grizzled miner down the bar. I told you I was leaving out the gory details, Taylor said, sipping her drink. McCready chuckled. Also doesn't explain how you got that hydraulic piece. Ah, Taylor replied. Union put that on me. Told them I lost the real thing in the quake. I figured they wouldn't pay me any overtime for time spent gambling with forgotten gods. They told me I had to work ten full years for them, too, to pay off the attachment, Taylor snorted. Left the next day. Turns out once you give someone a soulstone-powered steel arm, it's hard to stop them doing what they want. Taylor sipped her drink. Think they changed their policy after that. Zachariah had finally finished drinking. Not that anything else you said makes any sense, but what about the randomly appearing bone? Taylor smirked. Well, that's a story unto itself. But it turns out, if I had been in a position to pay more attention to it, I probably would have noticed bits of fried chicken still stuck to it. To explain how the bone got there, 
I first have to tell you about Tara. Well, no. I have to tell you about Karina. But to tell you about Karina, I have to tell you about Tara. I first met Tara on a nothing sort of job, a milk run. Tara had hired Victoria to help grab some sort of ancient and forbidden relic that was going to doom the world of men or some other such nonsense. I don't know. I generally stop paying attention once I know what to grab and where to put it. Pay me enough, I won't remember what you look like either. Anyway, Victoria brought me along as backup. There were obscenities from other planes of existence, tentacles, lots of smashing things with a hammer. The usual. But I don't want to bore you with the details. Tara and I hit it off pretty well, despite her... disability. Some of you may know I hold a bit of a grudge against the lesson living. But it's really more towards those who would look to make them that way. Besides, Tara can be charming and she pays well. So when Tara offered me a solo job, I took it. The job was to hit some guild cargo on a train heading west from Malifaux City to Fortune Falls. I smashed my way into the cargo hold and grabbed the goods while Tara stops the train. We make our escape into the woods. No problem, right? Except I hadn't met Karina yet. The train had a passenger section, so I met Tara and her associate in a private booth where we could do some planning. Tara, despite being dead, is rather practical. Long, dark hair. A little pale, as to be expected, but generally respectable. Usually wears a long duster to cover the gaping hole in her chest. The woman next to her was another story. She had a rat's nest of hair. Long white dress, still splattered with blood, and she had this twitchy look in her eyes. As soon as I laid eyes on her, I could feel the good lady calling to me. She was a resurrectionist without a doubt. Even so, I remained civil. You didn't tell me you were bringing a damn filthy necromancer along with us. Tara glared at me. Is that an issue, Taylor? Just didn't know was all, I replied, taking a seat with them. I would think you'd hold a bit of a grudge too, considering your condition. Tara smiled. Oh, hun, Karina is the one who made me this way. I raised an eyebrow. Tara sighed. She didn't put the hole through my chest. Some guild bastard did that, but Karina fixed me best she could. We've been through a lot together, seen a lot together. Karina leaned in close to me and whispered, Tea parties, tapping the side of her nose. Tea parties? I glanced towards Tara. Karina is a tad broken. But she's the only one who's seen the things I've seen. The endless oceans, the twilight inferno of dying stars. Our own little private eternity through endless sands and dark waters. Tara gazed out the window. Some people claim they can glimpse the void, but that's impossible. After all, the void is nothing. It can only be felt, experienced. I could only know the void once I'd witnessed eternity, and then had it all ripped away from me as I was brought back to this world. Everything this dry, gray world lacks, that is the void. I shifted awkwardly in my seat. I think tea parties sounded more pleasant. Tara let out a deep, joyful laugh. Sorry, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Well, let's just say Karina and I have been through a lot, and I feel a tad protective of her. I nodded. Fair enough. Resurrectionists just generally aren't my sort of people. Well, you best get over that, hun, Tara smiled. And if I don't? Tara pursed her fingers. 
Well, depending on her mood, Karina would either call a thousand screaming down from the great nowhere place to tear you to shreds, or... Tara glanced at her friend. Tabos in your hair. Ribbons, Karina corrected. They're much prettier. Oh, sorry, Tara nodded. She would tie ribbons in your hair. No, no, Karina shook her head. Tear you to ribbons. That seemed to be a decent place to drop the subject. So the job, I asked? Of course, Tara replied. The job is simple. The guild cargo was in the last car on this train. But it's behind a ruined door. Designed especially to keep entities like ourselves out. But your hammer is perfectly made to get through it. You'll know the item when you see it. Karina and I will stop the train. This all goes down a few minutes after we enter the woods. You hide in the woods and we'll find you. Don't worry about how. Sounds easy enough, I frowned. There's just one thing. Are we saving any lives? Tara narrowed her eyes. Yes, in fact. Why does it matter? Well, the good lady, my hammer, she only really works as long as I'm saving a life, even my own. She will take life, certainly, but only when preserving it as well. I paused. Don't get me wrong, I can pound on people all day with her, but there's nothing special about her unless she's awake. And it sounds like this door requires something special. Well, ain't that a neat trick, Tara smiled. The item we're taking is very dangerous. A great many will die if the guild use it properly. Or if they don't. It's called Blight. So you should be good, sugar. At the name Blight, I could feel the good lady calling. That name was familiar. What a quirky little thing, Tara mused. Do all relic cams work like that? In a way, yes, and in a way, no. They each have their own individual rules. I know your hands. Looks like we're entering the woods, Tara cut me off. Time to get the show on the road. We made our way out of the private booth together and into the adjoining dining car. We were about to part ways and do our separate jobs when Karina decided to stop and sample the buffet that was laid out for the richer guests. The only other person in the car was an older guild officer, stuffing himself until his buttons were about to burst. This isn't happening, I mumbled. Tara sighed. It's best just to let her finish. Trust me. And we'll be in the woods for quite a while. What? Karina said, around a mouthful of chicken. No need to rob the train on an empty stomach. The guild officers went wide and he reached for his peace bringer. But I caught him with a hydraulic back punch to the jaw before he could. He dropped to the floor with a loud thud unconscious. Tara closed her eyes, pinched the bridge of her nose and shook her head. Karina sucked the last of the meat off her drumstick. I do believe that man wanted to shoot me. Much obliged, Miss Taylor, she said with a curtsy. A gift for you. With a wave of her hand, there was a great screeching sound, as if the air was being sucked from the room and a swirling blackness appeared in the center of the little car. Karina casually tossed the chicken bone over her shoulder into it, and then with a snap of her fingers, closed it up. Tara took off her hat and ran a hand through her hair. Karina, she took a deep breath. Bless your heart. Did you just tear a hole in this reality and open the great screaming nothing so you could throw away a chicken bone? Karina glanced quickly from side to side. No? Tara grabbed her friend by the elbow and started dragging her out of the car. You got your job, hun, she said to me over her shoulder. I'll keep an eye on this one. Karina smiled and waved to me as she was dragged into the next car. You're welcome. 
I headed towards the back of the train where I knew the cargo hold would be. There were two guild guards in front of the door to the last car, but I gave each of them the cold steel kiss and they went down like their commander. If this item was really so important, there should have been more guards. But I suppose they were putting their trust in their enchanted iron, which, I have to admit, was impressive. The door in front of me was one giant plate of metal. There wasn't a hinge, latch, or handle on the thing, and it was covered top to bottom in runes of every shape and size. I had no idea how it opened. Well, I had no idea how it was supposed to open. I pulled the good lady free from my back. She was glowing with a faint white light, and I could even see the beginnings of the symbols down her shaft that signified she was awake. I don't see those often. Something behind that door had her good and riled. I leaned back and swung, putting my shoulders into it. I don't think I needed to. The good lady cut through that door like a hot knife through butter. The metal peeled away with a screeching hiss, and an acrid smell filled the air. Inside were all sorts of boxes and crates. There were weapons, supplies, and all manner of useful things the guild sees fit to keep locked away from us common folk. But the most interesting thing was the sword in the center of the car. It had been simply placed on the floor. It wasn't a model of blade you'd ever see earthside. The blade was chipped and ragged. It looked almost dull. There were spots of rust and dried blood up and down its length, and it was covered in what looked like a greasy sheen. I have to admit I was expecting something a bit more impressive. The floor beneath it was beginning to decay and blacken, with thick ropes of rot spreading out from it in every direction. There had been a chalk circle drawn around the sword, with more runes on every edge. The rot seemed to have stopped when it reached the edges of the circle. I hesitated. I had no real inclination to pick something up which had rotted away a wooden floor, but the train was screeching to a halt and I had to make my choice, so I grabbed it with my mechanical arm, hoping that would give me some protection. Even so, as soon as I touched it, I felt an icy bolt of pain creeping through my bones. The good lady was burning like a beacon, symbols blazing all over her. I'd never seen her so pissed off. All the better to tear through the side of the car, which was made of the same metal as the door. We were coming to a stop. Tara was keeping up on her end of the job on the other side of the train. Once it had slowed enough, I leapt to the ground and ran for the trees. I kept going deeper into the woods until I was sure the train tracks were a good distance behind me. The whole time the pain in my bones grew stronger and stronger. I was glad to throw the wretched blade to the ground once I reached a clearing where I could stop and wait for Tara. I didn't have to wait long. Tara and Karina came sprinting out of the underbrush. Tara immediately scooped up blood and examined it, while Karina bent over with her hands on her knees, panting. I suppose that's the disadvantage of needing to breathe, Tara mused. Well, this is the meal ticket. Good work, she said, pulling out a money clip full of script and tossing it to me. Unfortunately, not much time for pleasantries. Seems that train was transporting a unit of guild guard with a few hounds, and they took our train hijacking rather personal-like, so it's time to get. With that, Tara flexed her right hand and her fingers extended into long obsidian claws. She raked them at the air, and the world tore open. I heard the screeching again, same as back in the dining car and four great claw marks stood in the air before me, swirling with darkness. This is our ride, hop on in, Tara nodded. Now, I've had a lot of crazy things happen to me, and most of them were even of my own doing. I've gambled with demons and faced down a Sleepridge mauler. Hell, I've even filled out all of the appropriate guild tax forms, once. 
but there was no way I was jumping into that unknown abyss without knowing how deep it was. Not a chance, I said, shaking my head. Tara let out an annoyed sigh. It's perfectly safe, hon. This wasn't the original plan, but it's where we are now. I know exactly where it will end up. It's not happening, I said, as I heard the barking in the distance. Tara rolled her eyes. Karina, give the lady some backup. I already saved her life once today, Karina pouted. Of course you did, hon, Tara replied. Just do it pretty, please. With a frown, Karina waved her hand and mumbled some words I couldn't make out. Another tear in reality appeared, and out of it poured a wave of gibbering monstrosities. Some were simple undead. Others had extra limbs sewn in all the wrong places, hooks for hands, or any other number of obscene modifications. That should hold them off till you escape, Tara nodded. Nice doing business with you, she said, tipping her hat and stepping into the void with blight. Wait, I cried. Nice meeting you, Karina grinned, diving through the hole. I don't need backup, I shouted. Send them back. But it was too late. The abyss was already closing behind them, and the undead were lurching, shambling, and otherwise propelling themselves towards the sound of the encroaching guild unit. Of course, I don't have much love for the guild myself, but not every recruit can be blamed for the sins of the whole damned organization. Besides, I rarely miss an opportunity to put something into a grave that belongs in a grave. So I took off after them, the good lady in my bad arm. She was giving off her faint glow, and she was light as a feather. She always gets that way when she gets the chance to pummel undead. I think she has as many issues with them as I do. As I caught up to the pack of horrors, they were just crashing into the guild unit. Guardsmen were shouting and turning to run. Rifles were being aimed at rotten flesh and letting fire. Men were screaming as they were torn limb from limb. I leapt into the fray, raising the good lady above my head with both arms and slamming her down onto a bloated corpse with spikes where its eyes should be. There was an explosion of white light, and all the undead around me were blown backwards. Welcome to Malifaux, I murmured. I whirled on the stunned creatures, pulverizing them as the guild unloaded their rifles into the corpulent horde. When the smoke cleared, there wasn't a scratch on me. I guess Karina's spell didn't point any of the monsters in my direction, even if I was caving their skulls in. The guild guards stood staring at me, eyes wide. There were about twenty of the poor bastards left. Most still had their rifles trained on me. I suppose it's not every day you get attacked by a pack of zombies only to be saved by an unspeakably gorgeous woman with a giant hammer. The man with certain stripes on his sleeve held out his hand, and the men and women around him slowly lowered their weapons. Thanks. Thanks for the help. You have any idea what the hell just happened? Where did these things come from? No idea, I said, wiping my forehead with my sleeve. Just doing my civic duty, saw trouble and jumped in, so to speak. The pudgy officer had been standing behind his comrades, pushed his way to the front and pointed a finger at me. She's one of them. She helped rob the train. It was the officer from the dining car. In an instant, there were twenty-odd rifles pointed at me. I still held the good lady, but she'd gone heavy and dark again. In a way, it was a good sign. They did not intend to kill me at that moment. So there I stood, splattered with blood, surrounded by the stilled corpses of the living dead abominations I had helped put down, staring down the guns of the very people I'd been trying to save. Well, I looked each and every one of those men and women in the eye, and I did what came natural. I give up, I shouted, dropping my weapon. It's not like I had never been arrested before.
I too... Zachariah's speech was interrupted by a loud hiccup. Tooch talk. He shook his head. I took two drinks for unspeakably gorgeous, he said, holding up three fingers. So why didn't the guild hang you robbing a train and all? McCready asked as he polished the mug. Taylor shrugged. It's all about who you know. An old friend of mine is a captain with the guard, and it seems I mysteriously escaped during the night. Friends with the guild officer? The old miner shot a glare at Taylor. Oh, it gets worse than that, Taylor smoked. I worked for him. Believe it or not, I was a guild guard myself when I first came breachside. Of course, back then, being a guard didn't mean the same things it does now. We didn't have too many civilians to push around. Back then, being a guard meant standing behind a battered barricade all night with a shotgun, praying the Nephilim wouldn't come back. And you got to pay two dollars for the privilege. Good old Captain Gideon pinned a badge on me almost as soon as I stepped off the train. He was a good man, tough but fair. Can't say that about many guild, especially nowadays. And there were so few of us back then that he knew all of our names. Me and him were close. We watched each other's backs. So he came with me when I went to meet my brother at the train station. He wanted to meet this amazing Thomas I was always babbling about. Thomas was my kid brother, but because I'd been taking care of him since our parents ran out on us, he was more like my kid. He always had a good head on his shoulders, got himself a scholarship to Oxford when he was only 16. So when the breach reopened, coming to Malifaux was all he could talk about. He was the only family I had in the world, so I finally gave in and agreed to let him, on the condition that I would go on first and get us a place to stay, make sure food would be on the table, that sort of thing. Damn, Taylor, calm yourself. It's not like we're getting paid today, Gideon said with a smile. You're practically dancing up and down. Boss, I glanced in his direction. You've never seen me dance. And if you ever do, I will be far, far too drunk to remember it. We were standing at the station, waiting for the train that would deliver Thomas into Malifaux. Gideon chuckled. That would be a sight. It wasn't long before the train pulled in. That gleaming metal monster that brought us all here through the eerie flickering glow of the breach. I instantly spotted Thomas among the throngs of people pouring from the train. His black hair was disheveled as always, a pair of broad spectacles resting above his round nose. His face was a little wider than when I'd last seen him. He'd been eating well at Oxford the past months. Malifaux would cure that. Being his older sister, I gave him the official greeting. I put him in a headlock and dug my knuckle into his scalp until he pounded on my arm. Thanks, Taylor, he huffed. Nice to see you, too. I gave him a squeezing hug. Missed you, kid. Gideon chuckled. Not two minutes in and your sister embarrasses you. Seems like her. I'm Captain Gideon, he said, extending his hand. Welcome to Malifaux. Thomas, Thomas said, grabbing Gideon's hand. I'm used to it, at least. And I can always embarrass her right back. Oh, Gideon said, raising an eyebrow. Thomas, I growled. She's afraid of water, Thomas exclaimed before I could stop him. Gideon just nodded. That would explain all the liquor. When we were kids, I sighed, I jumped into the lake near our house. It was a portion we hadn't been swimming in before, and the water was dark and deep. Jumping in went well enough, but when I tried to come back up, my arm was caught on something, 
I pulled and pulled, my lungs stirred to fill with water. Thomas hung his head. Sorry to bring that up. My mouth moves before I think. It always has, I said with a smile. Anyway, I'm fine with water. I just make sure I know how deep it is before I jump and that I can see the bottom. Thomas perked up a bit. Well, aren't you going to welcome me to the city? I snorted. What do you think I was doing when I had you in that headlock? So, Gideon clapped his hands. I hear the guild has brought you over to study about Soulstone under our good Dr. Lesterborn. Indeed, Thomas exclaimed. Oh, now you've done it, I moaned. It's all very exciting, Thomas continued, ignoring me. They've become so rare on earth these past hundred years, obtaining one simply for the purposes of study is nearly impossible. But there are so many questions. How do they store magical energy? Why only magical energy? How does a person, through sheer act of will, tap into this energy? What exactly happens during the recharging process? You see, there are so many different theories to answer all these questions. And Thomas explained all the different theories to us as we made our way through the city. I took Thomas to my cheap little apartment. It wasn't much, but it was home. We just have the cot, I said. We can take turns between it and the floor. And for your things, Thomas cut me off. Sorry, but I need to get going. He was looking at the coin silver pocket watch that was one of the few items he had left from our father. Lesterborn is expecting me soon. No problem, I said. I know the way. Lesterborn worked for the guild studying Soulstone. At the time, the mines weren't even properly set up, so there was a lot of work to be done. After the first wave of grunts, like myself, the guild was starting to bring in academics like my brother and Lesterborn to figure things out. Lesterborn operated out of an old broken-down mansion which was slowly being converted into a laboratory. Come in, come in. Lesterborn held out the door and grinned. Young Thomas, is it? You come highly recommended from Oxford. Thank you, sir. Thomas adjusted his glasses. My teachers flatter me. Nonsense, Lesterborn exclaimed. I'm sure you'll fit right in. Right now I'm focusing my studies on how soul stones replenish energy from the dead. I find it to be one of their more enigmatic aspects. In fact, their entire relationship with death... Two bookworms straight to shop talk. No pleasantries. I gave Thomas a smile and a wave so I wouldn't interrupt and left him there. The next few days went well enough. I hardly saw Thomas between his long hours in the lab and my long hours cowering behind a barricade hiding from monsters. Even so, it was nice to have him around again. Loneliness can become a long, gnawing, hollow wake that buries itself so deep inside of you that you forget it's there until it leaves. Unfortunately, things at work were getting strange. Stranger than usual, at least. There had been a string of murders and disappearances in the city. Dying in Malifaux was common enough, but we were still trying to hold everything together against the Neverborn. Policing the human population was an added strain we didn't need. And the killer was becoming more brazen with every attack. Internal organs were taken. The word Kathira was scrawled out on the walls of the crime scenes in blood on more than one occasion. They seemed to have gone from precision attacks to a mad spree almost overnight. If the man is a lunatic, Gideon commented as we patrolled the streets one evening, at least it'll be easier to catch him. If? I raised an eyebrow. Gideon grunted. You know what I mean. There's a difference between stealing people away in the night for some kidnapping scheme and running through the streets naked covered in blood. The latter tends to stand out a lot more, and it seems to be where our new friend is headed. A sharp change these past few days. 
As we rounded a corner, we came upon a sight I will never forget. There was a woman with sunken, watery eyes shambling towards us. Her flesh was bone white, and there was a deep gash across her throat. She let out a long, low gurgle as she staggered forward. Dear God, Gideon stopped in his tracks. Nobody could survive that wound. I'm, I'm not sure she did, I stuttered. Ma'am, Gideon called. Ma'am, are you all right? She lunged at him in answer, her jaw snapping at his face. Gideon was an officer, but he was no slouch in a fight. He wouldn't survive to rise in the ranks back then if he were. He flipped that abomination over and had it pinned on the cobbles before I could blink. Taylor, he called. Check her pulse. I got my hand to her throat, careful to avoid the snapping teeth. Nothing, sir. I'll be damned, he sighed. The reports from the quarantine zone are true. He leapt off the thing and backed away. At that moment, I noticed something, and the blood drained from my face. Sir, I didn't recognize her like this at first, but that's Lesterborn's maid. Gideon unloaded his shotgun into the thing's skull. Let's go, he said. Without another word, we were racing through the streets toward Lesterborn's old mansion. It was too late, of course. The doors were hanging wide open, and we burst into the main room, sweeping the corners with our shotguns. Till Grand Kythera Dow, a voice shouted from upstairs, followed by a cackling laugh. There was no humor in that laugh. It was a triumphant shout of insanity as it corrupted a sound that should herald joy. We ran up the stairs, guns raised. In the master bedroom, which had been converted into a lab with those sorts of glassware, books, and containers lying in racks on the wall, we found Lesterborn. He wore a black rubber apron covered in blood, and he was waving around a leather-bound book. I've done it, don't you see, he giggled. I wanted to study the transition, but death was just a starting point. There's so much more past that. The first few were such failures, but triumph is at hand. Kaftira is the key. The secrets this book holds, they whisper sweetly in my mind. Till Grand Kaftira Dow. Till Grand Kaftira Dow. Whatever you say, Gideon replied, before giving the doctor one very final lesson in death with his shotgun. Thomas, I shouted. Thomas. We searched room to room, and finally found him chained in the basement. His throat was cut, but he was still moving, clawing and snapping his jaws at us when we got too close. For some reason, I was reminded of drowning. I remember panicking under those deep black waters. I struggled and I fought. I knew that this couldn't be happening to me. This happened to other people. But then reality hit, and panic turned to mania. Thrashing, clutching, convulsing. Eventually, I couldn't hold my breath any longer and my throat spasmed as my body tried to keep the water from entering my lungs. Pain. The pain of dying. The pain of leaving this world. But finally the water was in my lungs and everything was clear. Everything made sense. My vision was going black, but this was my world now. The blackness was just a part of it. Only then was I calm enough to free myself. At some point I'd thrown up on the floor. Gideon put a hand on my shoulder. You don't have to. I can... I shook myself and stood up. No. No, he's mine to put down. Avoiding the snapping jaws, I took my father's pocket watch from Thomas' coat. 
It was smashed and useless. Welcome to Malifaux, I whispered. Then I emptied both barrels of my shotgun into my baby brother's head. The bar was silent for once. Taylor took a shot. Burned that hellhole down the next day. Didn't last much longer in the guard after that, she said, slamming her glass down on the table. Quietly, the patrons started to empty out of the bar. They all knew better than to cross Taylor when she was in a mood. Besides, sometime during the story, MacReady had announced last call. Within a few minutes, the bar was empty except for Taylor, MacReady, and Zachariah, who was now passed out on the floor. Taylor grinned. Easier than kicking them all out, eh? MacReady gave a throaty laugh. I knew you were spinning more tales. You know how I knew? He leaned forward conspiratorially. All your other stories are so detailed, so exaggerated. These you just got to the point, like you just wanted everyone out of here. Or like telling them isn't a very fun experience for me, Taylor lifted an eyebrow. Nah, MacReady shook his head. I know your lies too well, girl. The true one is the one about how you came over here with a circus and lost your arm trying to train a captured Slate Ridge Mauler to be a dancing bear. No one else believed it, but I could hear the passion in your voice. Taylor smiled. The best lie is the truth nobody believes. MacReady grunted and tossed her some scrip. You'll cut her the drinks people poured down their throats while you went on, and a little extra for getting them all the hell out of here, he grinned. Keep it up and you won't need to be a mercenary anymore. Much obliged, Taylor said, knocking her knuckle twice on the bar as she got up. Good night, old man. Good night, kid, MacReady replied as Taylor opened the door, whistling a tune as she left. The night wind was cool and refreshing as it ran through Taylor's hair. She kept whistling, a smile on her face as she marched down the street. But soon the smile disappeared, her shoulders hunched, and her tune slowly faded away as she trudged on. Out in the night, alone with nothing but her thoughts, Taylor couldn't tell any lies. The laughter of strangers and liquor in her belly only ever warmed her for so long. Eventually, she always had to face the things that had become a part of her, the blackened edges of her world. She let out a long, weary sigh and leaned against the wall. Reaching into her pocket, she pulled out a broken, coin-silver pocket watch. She looked at it for a time, before putting it back to continue on into the night. And the darkness swallowed her. That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for more Tales of Malifaux.